Hey, welcome to High Resolution. My name's Bobby Goshaw. And I'm Jared Arandu. We're gonna sit down with 25 masters of the design industry and we're gonna learn from them. We're gonna learn how the best companies in the world approach, communicate, and deploy design in their businesses every single day. In this episode, we're talking with Katie Dill. Katie is the Director of Experience Design at Airbnb. She'll focus on how to frame user experiences and use storytelling to lead a discussion. We're gonna to get to that. Stick around right after these partner messages. Thanks to Squarespace for their support. Whether you need a domain, a website, or an online store, make your next move with Squarespace. Visit squarespace.com and enter the code HIGHRESOLUTION, one word, for 10% off your first purchase. Katie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, what's one thing about design that's clear to you that you feel is not so clear to other people? Hmm. It's getting better, but I would say um, some still don't know that design is more than what you see. Uh, Steve Jobs said that uh, it's not just what it looks like, but how it works. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and of course, I believe in that, but there's a little bit more to that. When we think about design, we're often thinking about solving problems. Uh, design, in its simplest sense, is just being intentional about something. Trying to solve a problem, thinking about the end user, hopefully doing so in a, maybe a collaborative fashion, doing it in an iterative fashion. These are oftentimes the tools of design. But you can use those tools for really solving kind of almost any problem. Uh, so it might be you know, what the interface on an app looks like and what colors it has and where the buttons go and how that works. But it could also be the strategy or the shape of the org and how people work together and who works with whom. These are the types of things that you can use that tool set of design to solve for. Um, and I don't know if that's wide enough, uh, it's known wide enough, uh, unfortunately, but we're getting there for sure. What is, what is that tool set? So that's interesting. So it sounds like you're saying that there's this thing that we can use called design mm -hmm. for things outside of user interfaces. Yes. Um, we can solve business problems and we can design teams using this process. What, what are some of the things that you've used in this process? Yeah, and uh, let's be clear, while there are people that have job titles that include yeah. designer, like myself, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that only designers do this, right? Like it's just like not only plumbers plumb, right? Or teachers teach. Uh, it, design is a method for solving problems. Uh, as I mentioned, it's about bringing intentionality to it. And good design, I feel, includes a humanistic approach, trying to consider who the end user is. And so in org, you might be thinking about, well, who are the people in that organization that are gonna be affected by what the shape of that organization looks like? Mm -hmm. And so you, know, you bring the tools of research and you get out and you learn from those individuals what they want, what they don't want, try to understand you know, what might come of these decisions that you might make. And then the other part of the tool set is iteration. Uh, designers, uh, great designers utilize iteration. And so that might mean that they make a low fidelity version of the, their idea, their solution first, and test it out so that they, again, can learn from that end user group to know whether or not it's working. Uh, basically leaving your assumptions on the table, so to speak, uh, and trying to find what that right solution might be. Uh, another tool in that tool set would be collaboration. Uh, great design, I believe, works with a collaborative team, a multidisciplinary team, uh, because you know, we don't know every answer. If I'm trying to say that design can solve just about any problem, well, we're not an expert in just about any problem, and people using design are not an expert in everything. So you have to bring people together, other experts that you can learn from um, in order to develop those solutions. Hmm. That's interesting. How do you, um, 
So you mentioned iteration and collaboration. One of the things that uh, in, my, in my designer past I've found to be really interesting is iteration, once you get the hang of it, once you understand that that's yeah. a, a key component of the design process, it becomes so obvious that you need to do it because one of the superpowers designers have is that we can just create stuff yeah. from the ether and do it a thousand times really quickly, right? Engineers don't have that leisure. Mm. Um, but the, the kind of flip side to that coin is when you iterate on something and you do it at low fidelity, uh, the business people, right, like the non-designers, they seem to generally not be able to get past the fact that it looks like crap, but it needs to look like crap in order, in order for it to move forward. How, like, how would you explain the art of iteration and the importance of iteration to someone in the business? Mm. Uh, lower risk, faster. Okay. You know, it's, there, I hear you, it can be difficult to show somebody something that isn't all the way thought through and, you know, they start poking at, you know, well, that, that copy is wrong or, you know, that, that it's too big for the area that's going to be. Uh, and they might have great points, but you're, you're trying to direct their conversation perhaps to something else if you're keeping it at low fidelity. Uh, and helping them see the stages of what you're working towards. I think one way to solve for that is that you, know, you show them what, like, what you can do in terms of the high fidelity version. Like, we'll get to this polished screen that has all the right bells and whistles, but in order to get there, first let's make sure we have the idea right, or let's make sure we have the interaction model right. Um, or when we're talking about an org, like, let's make sure that you know, before we go and move desks around, uh, you know, and we're going to put new signage up and everything. But before we do that, like, let's try to, you know, scenario plan here. What is it going to look like when we have people over here and people over there? Um, and think through some of those scenarios of like, well, who's going to come to what meeting, right? Like, you give yourself examples of that. Um, but I think, yeah, they, they need to be able to know that you, you will get it to the end uh, and finalize that. So speaking about organizational design, <coughs> you've been here for a few years, and Airbnb since then on the design side has, like, reshuffled a bit, mm -hmm. right? Um, in terms of layout, structure, how, however you guys work together. Um, and that's a, that's a good skill to have, like that sense of adaptability. Um, but how has Airbnb actually approached this? Yeah, I mean, we've definitely been a company within hypergrowth. And you know, I started here almost three years ago, and it was about uh, 10 people on the experience design team. And now it's uh, close to 80. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's remarkable uh, how so much has changed, but so much has you know, maintained through that. Uh, a lot of the good things and, and some of the challenges, of course, too. Uh, but I guess how we've approached it is that, one, starting from, well, what do we want to stay the same? You know, knowing that we're gonna grow and you know, our mission is to help anyone belong anywhere and you know, we can't do that unless we scale. Uh, our mission you know, requires that kind of global scale. Uh, but if we're going to do that, if we're going to expand our team here and abroad and uh, make sure that we're expanding our product, uh, we need to figure out you know, what are the things, our principles, our values that mm -hmm. you know, just can't change. And I, th I think we're pretty lucky that our founders got that from the get-go and they prioritize culture. Uh, culture has been a really big thing for Airbnb and I think that's one of the reasons why we've been successful uh, because we've worked really hard to make sure that everybody that works here is you know, passionate about the mission, is you know, excited to you know, embrace the adventure of you know, building a business and you know, uncertainty and challenge that comes ahead of us and that people are really you know, strong in their skills. And that, I think, has helped to make sure that you know, no matter what we do and no matter where you are in the world, you know, you're working alongside somebody that you don't mind you know, banging your head against the wall through late at night trying to figure out a hard problem. Like, mm -hmm. you know, trust the people that we work with, and uh, that's been a big deal. Yeah. So, 
Uh, when I first joined, um, and as I mentioned, it was a super small team at the time. Uh, well, it was the right size for the time, but it was 10 people at the time. Uh, it basically was kind of like a design project, right? It's like, all right, I've got to you know, build this team. Um, I've got to understand you know, where we're at today and where do we want to get to. So just like great design, you know, utilizing research. And so I did one-on-one -on -one interviews with people on the team. I did one-on-one -on -one interviews with our partners like Product and Eng and try to understand what was working and what wasn't working yeah. uh, with them and the designers. Um, of course, you know, looked at the work and you know, where the process was and how things were going there. Basically just did a, you know, an assessment yeah. just like you would yeah. in any other design project. Uh, and then started to kind of shape what the opportunities were, like where are the problem areas and how might we do these differently. And again, just like great design, be collaborative with it. So it's not like we're just going to you know, redesign the design team without you know, including the designers yeah. and the product managers yeah. and the engineers. And so we did a lot of workshops and we talked about you know, the types of things that we could do to improve it. One of the problems we had at the time is there wasn't a real sense of togetherness in the design team. Um, and that's because there were 10 designers and probably around 11 product teams, being that you know, the product teams were you know, focused on different areas of the product, right? And these designers were essentially working on islands by themselves, mm -hmm. you know, with engineers and product managers, but not other designers. Mm -hmm. And they were sitting in all sorts of different places. Uh, and so we identified that as an opportunity area. Uh, the other place that we saw some challenge where uh, the designers were feeling like they were only utilized basically at the end of the design process. Right. You know, to make things look pretty kind of thing, hit mm -hmm. it with the design stick. Uh, and they felt underutilized. The product managers and the engineers didn't understand why, you know, the designers didn't seem that engaged. And so there was just this like, you know, kind of dueling challenge there where, you know, no, nobody was happy. Um, it just wasn't working as well as it So it, it, it sounds like it wasn't that in designers were intentionally left out of the decision-making process. It's that there's a uh, miseducation or lack of education around how designers actually should work into a process. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, there's only so much I can assume as to like how it got there, you know, but I think it's everybody's at fault, right, how it got there, right? Mm. It's just that, you know, were the designers actually holding up their end of the bargain? Right. You know, were the designers showing that they should be at the table at the earlier stages? Right. Were the product managers and engineers being inclusive? I, I mean, there's any number of reasons why it might have been that way. Maybe the designers intentionally walked away from that, or maybe um, they once were at the table and it didn't work out. I, I don't know as much as to like what happened before I got here. Uh, we certainly tried to understand why things were the way they were, uh, but really you know, wanted to shift our thinking into how could they be better. And a lot of that was about shifting the mindset of the folks that are currently in the building, and also part of that was hiring. Uh, and so if you looked at the team and thought, okay, well, we have these skills. We have people who are really good at visual. We have real, people that are really good at interaction design, but we're missing some facilitators. We're missing the people that, you know, can come into the room and grab the whiteboard marker and activate a whole room. And that's, you know, one of the places where, you know, design's upfront value really starts to come out, right? Is that like before there's even an idea, they're already providing value in terms of like how the thing is working, how the conversation is working. And so we started hiring for people like that, some people that you know, we're gonna round out the skill sets of the team. And so when we built into the team, um, you know, these different individuals, people at different you know, kind of levels of seniority, people with a different mix of skills, uh, it was started to become revealing to you know, engineers, product managers, as well as the designers, how design could be better leveraged. It was inspiring for them to see how design could be a part of earlier stages in the process, like planning and strategy conversations and just general facilitation. 
so things started to shift and we continued to build out the team. Another area, as I mentioned, that we had folks on islands, right? Mm -hmm. So building out the team so that you know, we always had at least designers in pairs working on things together. Mm -hmm. uh, we and our design team here, we call basically all of the, the folks that are focused on the design of the product, the UI and the, and the UX, experience designers. Uh, and that's because you know, there's more than you know, the pixels that they're designing, it is the experience. Uh, but everybody does a little bit of both UI and UX. But of course there's like different levels, right? You know, they, you know, there's, they're not, not necessarily everyone is an 11, 11 out of 10 on all fronts. Uh, and so on our teams, when you, know, you have a pair, you, you think about like, well, this person's really visually strong and this person's a little bit more strong in interaction. So pair them together so that they can help each other. Um, and learn from each other. And does that still exist, the pairing concept? Yeah. Okay. Um, our teams uh, now have, you know, we're, we're even past just yeah. having a pair, which yeah. is great. Uh, and so yeah, we have a few more designers yeah. now on the yeah. teams. Uh, but yeah, we, we do, we work very hard, the, the managers and I, and where, you know, people are going to go and how we balance out skill sets. Uh, you know, I mean, it might just be because I like to drink so much, but I, I kind of think about it as like building a good cocktail. Mm. Uh, like think about a team, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's all like all the ingredients. Too strong in the vodka. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. you can't have anything like too strong, overpowering, yeah. and you gotta yeah. think how they balance out. Like, Interesting. Right, and it's not just like visual and interaction. Like you also have to think about like their soft skills. Like, you know, some folks are a little bit, you know, better at the, you know, the conversational part or the presentational part, uh, presentation part. Uh, there's, you know, some folks that are a bit more introverted, some are a bit more extroverted. Anything goes, as long as you're thinking about the composition and how it comes together. There's a great study, and I'm not gonna remember the person's name, but it's a TED talk that I'll dig up later and show you. Uh, but this woman did a study about you know, chickens and laying eggs. Mm -hmm. And she basically put all of the, like, the best chickens together and thought, like, well, let's see if they make you know, the most eggs next to this other group that we're not gonna sort them out and just do a mix of chickens. And you know, lo and behold, the like super group of chickens did not do better. They basically fought the whole time and like, you know, ah, attacked each other. Alpha chickens. Yes. Yeah. And then the other group, the heterogeneous group, yeah. the like nice mix of all yeah. like skill sets. Uh, we're talking chickens here. Ch chicken skills. <laughs> chicken skills. That's great. <laughs> they ended up doing better, and it's a perfect analogy for a team in terms of like you know making sure you have that right mix. You yeah. don't want just like the A team and you know they, they fight all day. So it's also like a good um, plus one for like inclusivity in teams. Yeah. Indeed. There are a couple, couple of roles that you mentioned on your experience team. You said UI and UX make up the experience team. And I'm very curious now because the Airbnb experience, of course, is bigger than digital. You guys have the physical world yeah. experience as well. Do you have, like, do you guys think of experience as a system or do you think of it in the worlds of physical experience and digital experience? Mm. Good question. So. We do think of it as a system that includes digital and physical. Yeah. Uh, the experience design team does include folks that are focused on UI and UX. It also includes you know, folks that are on, focused on illustration and animation, ah. people that are more service design minded. Uh, but generally folks are a mixture of these types of things. Yeah. And it's that mixture that comes together. Uh, the, I guess, the thing that isn't necessarily perfectly captured in the job title is that when we are looking for these individuals, we're not just looking for somebody who's going to have a portfolio of nothing but pixels and right. can only speak about the pixels. Mm -hmm. right. We're looking for the people that are going to be able to talk about how those pixels have ramifications in the real world mm -hmm. right. um, and can consider those ramifications, which you know, is really something that you know, kind of transcends time and place. I mean, it can be very challenging things, yeah. uh, but that's the crux 
crux of what Airbnb is. Mm. You know, the pixels, which of course you know are our tools to instigate this experience. Uh, they're only you know a very small part of an experience that someone has on Airbnb. Most of it, probably 99% of it, is them in the offline world interacting with strangers, people that probably speak a different language um, on another side of the planet. And so it's imperative that we're thinking about those things when we're looking at a pixel. Um, and so something as simple as you know the words that we choose or the size of the button or the you know, ability to get to the button is going to be impacted by the fact that you know, somebody might be on their phone carrying their suitcase, right. trying to get into a locked apartment, yeah, yeah. and it's late at night. Um, and so considering those things is imperative. Uh, how we do so is actually through story. Uh, we have a giant storyboard up on the wall that you know, is, is on the wall for all to see, but we actually use it, things like this in our design process every day. Uh, and thinking about, you know, in terms of pictures and in terms of those stories, like a comic strip, uh, what is the experience that someone's going through? What is the context of their use? Uh, and that really does help remind us that it's more than just what we see on you know, our screens there. Um, and that's you know, one of the many things that we need to do. Uh, of course, you know, research and getting out there ourselves, using the product ourselves, are other ways to remind our, us. But uh, yeah, it, there's a lot more than the screen. That's really interesting. How do you define a design-centric company? Hmm. Um, a design-centric company is one that probably doesn't leave well enough alone uh, and that know that by thinking of people, the end users first, uh, and wants and needs change and evolve and to stay ahead of it by you know, looking for opportunity and iterating and trying new things and exploring with a uh, want to make it better. I think that's what design centric is. And do you, do you think Airbnb is that? Yes. Oh, definitely. Uh, we're we're lucky that we have uh, design at the the heart of this company. Right. You know, two of our founders are designers. Our CEO is a designer. <laughs> we have three designers in the executive team. I mean, that that is definitely uh, a wonderful thing. And you know, I'd say an advantage to having design as part of the company from the get go. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of permeated within our culture. You know, as I mentioned, that culture is so important. It's not like we're hiring for designers, no matter what, you know, right. across the entire board, no matter yeah. what discipline you're in. But certainly, thinking about you know the end user is a part of it. Like one of our core values is being a host, and that is a very design-like thing. I think, yeah. right? It's yeah. just like thinking about you know what, who's going to use this, how they're going to interact with it, and that should yeah. be a part of everyday thinking. Um, and I think we also have a rather ambitious culture uh, where you know we do want to make a big impact in this world you know our mission is to have anyone belong anywhere and that is a big meaty mission right anyone anywhere right and that's basically shifting the the mindset of a whole lot of this planet uh, but we're here because we you know do believe that we can go after that but um, we're gonna have to you know take on a lot of heavy and hard work to get there then uh, I think that's a part of you know the design centric part of it not being afraid to try something different. Thanks again to Squarespace for supporting this show. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to get a domain, create a website, or build an online store. They offer domains with SSL certificates and who is privacy that you can seamlessly connect to your Squarespace website or online store. They take care of everything for you. Nowadays, your domain is your online identity. It's the first thing people see when they visit your site. It helps build credibility, and honestly, it just makes you look more professional. So why mess it up? Squarespace offers an easy way to find a domain that works for you or your business. They even host it for you, all in one place. 
So if you've been thinking about getting a domain for your new project or personal site, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code HIGHRESOLUTION, that's one word, to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. We'd also like to thank our friends at Envision for their support. Envision is the world's leading product design platform, powering the future of digital design through their deep understanding of the importance of collaboration. They're used by some of the most innovative companies in the world like Facebook, Capital One, Airbnb, and Netflix. Let me tell you three reasons why I'd use it. One, poor communication is one of the biggest blockers for talented teams. Two, when you don't get feedback from others early and often, you can get lost in the woods, and that's just bad for everyone. And three, without a prototype, it can be hard to show others your full vision for a design. Envision solves all of that. You can rapidly prototype at the front end of the design process and collaborate across every stage of the project. It simplifies virtually every aspect of the design workflow and makes collaboration a core part of the process for everyone, from project managers to designers, developers, and writers. Teams that build digital products are at a serious advantage when they use Envision's suite of prototyping and collaboration tools. It's the best way to get everyone on board. Visit envisionapp.com and use our access code INV-HIGHRESOLUTION for three months free. So a few years ago, Airbnb put out a rebrand. Um, and it's, I mean, it's beautiful. Like we just walked by the logo ourselves coming into this room. Um, but anytime you're launching something that big, especially when it's a brand, when you could not preview it to the majority of the world, um, there could be a lot of fear of whether it's going to be well received, if it's going to fail, right? Um, now it did not, it's still alive, it's still up there. Uh, but walk us through that, that experience of actually designing that thing and preparing a team for such a big launch and for whatever reception you guys may have received. Mm, it's a great question. It's certainly the biggest project I've ever worked on. You know, Rebranding a you know, company that, you know, at that time was you know, pretty large. I think we were probably about you know, 1,500, 2,000 people worldwide. Um, people knew about our product all around the world, and you know, we were about to change the face of it. Um, so yeah, it was you know it's scary and it's exciting, uh, but it wasn't anything done overnight. It wasn't anything done in a vacuum. Um, and I think that helped give us the confidence that it was the right thing to do and we were going in the right direction. Uh, we went through a very long design process uh, in terms of creating the logo and typography, which did happen before I was here. Uh, it was, I think, close to six months of iteration. And our host community, uh, for one, as well as some guests, were a part of that process. Um, and we did get feedback from folks along the way. And when we applied it to the product and started bringing the color system, the typography system, and really just the kind of the essence of the new brand to the product, that as well uh, was probably even more challenging because we were about to move things around uh, on people that had been using our product for many years. And we did that again with you know, including parts of our community. Obviously, we couldn't share it with the world yet, but we wanted to understand that it wasn't just what we thought was right, but that you know, others could identify with it. Um, our product is all about a community and mm -hmm. so of course it couldn't be done completely in isolation but I do think the learning here is that you know when you're launching something it, it helps if you can do your best to you know, remove the risk of, of the surprise um, and okay. you know, try to iterate, you know, as we talked about earlier, with you know, a kind of maybe a lower fidelity version or a partial version uh, and try to test aspects of your hypothesis so that when you are launching something that you put all this blood, sweat, and tears in, uh, the reactions shouldn't be surprising. 
uh, at scale, you know, you never know what happens. Of course, you have to be ready for that. And, you know, you know, you have to know you tried your best and that you can always, you know, change. You can always iterate, uh, especially in the digital world. We're very lucky that we can, you know, fine tune as time goes and, and absorb feedback. Uh, but yeah, I think it could be uh, hard for a designer to, you know, kind of put their heart and soul out there through their work and yeah. feel that risk of, well, what if people hate it? Uh, but, you know, if you don't try anything, you'll, you'll never get to a better solution. And, you know, that risk that you take can be minimized uh, through going through a process of, you know, including others and uh, trying it yourself and prototyping and experimenting with whatever you can uh, so that by the time you get there, um, you'll know with confidence that it's the right direction. This is informed decisiveness. You've put yeah. in all, it's, it's not you kind of stick your finger in the air and yeah. hope that you do the right thing. Yeah. You guys put in all the work up front to make sure that your core community loved it and that when you guys actually went to market, it wasn't about capitulating to the masses, it was about believing in the decision process uh, and the design process. And of course now, two years later, what an amazing brand it is, yep. right? What an amazing mark and it's everywhere and it's friendly and it's beautiful. I think it's looked at as one of the great rebrands. Yep. Um, so congratulations. <laughs> So earlier you mentioned that Airbnb uses storyboards to document like the user journey that you're going to be designing for, right? But outside of that, what are other ways that Airbnb involves storytelling in its design process? Mm. Storytelling is kind of one of those examples of using a maybe a lower fidelity way of getting to what that end solution should be. Uh, so you can, you know, kind of gain buy-in and demonstrate a direction and get people excited and also prototype it to understand whether or not it's the right thing. Uh, so storytelling can be really at any stage of the you know, kind of product development process or the problem solving process. Uh, it's a powerful one because it's something that every individual can kind of identify with. Mm -hmm. And so if we can tell a story of what a person uh, is going to go through and we help people kind of start to understand a little bit about that person and see what challenges they might have and how this might be better for them, they can start to see themselves within that. You know, they start to imagine, you know, people they know and experiences they've had. Uh, and it really helps to kind of like pluck at the heartstrings and, you know, get that understanding of what it could be. And so where that might come in, uh, let's say that we have you know, a new idea for a new product. And we could talk about like the list of features of this new product. Like you're mm -hmm. gonna be like one click to such and such. Mm -hmm. Or actually, like let's even say like, you know, conversion is gonna go up with such and such. And you get a bunch of people in the room and be like, that sounds great, conversion, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever yep. that is. Conversion uh, dollars, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. And everyone's probably imagining something different of yeah. what that's going to be. Yeah. And everyone's probably thinking of what they already know of um, and just thinking of, a, you know, a slight variant on top of that. But let's say instead you're a designer who, or you know, anyone on the team who's got another idea um, for a new feature that's going to be something that no one's ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And you want them to understand that. You tell them a story. Uh, maybe you help them understand what the current predicament is. It's like, all right, well, we have, you know, a family of five. They want to go away to Vermont on the weekend. The mom spends three hours on Airbnb trying to find the right place. Mm -hmm. She needs, you know, a wheelchair for, you know, because uh, she's in a wheelchair or that, you know, she's got young kids and they have a pet and they're going through all of these trials and tribulations to find the right place. Now let's imagine that with this new feature that, you know, we already know 
what her needs are because we've seen that from her previous booking. And so she comes in and uh, right front and center are the places that we know would be the right fit for her. And you can show this through yeah. pictures and we can highlight the, what the, th the things that this place will have based on her needs. And you can talk about how this experience is going to be better for her and really like help them understand like her name is Anne and she lives in, you know, Newark, New Jersey. And you cultivate this kind of understanding of context that now, you know, the people in the room are all of a sudden like getting these really kind of like visceral images in their mind about Anne from Newark yeah. and the trials and tribulations of her booking experience. And they're starting to understand a little bit about that product idea that you had. Instead of a list of features, you've told it in the story of what that thing might look like and behave like. You can break it down to features later. You can, you know, scope out the engineering work later. Uh, but first, you know, just like any other human would, try to understand it in terms of, you know, what the person is going through um, and that's what people can really identify with um, and so it helps sell the story and it helps frame the story and it helps sell the work frame the work and helps you actually even execute on it because you can be reminded of those stages that Anne needs to go through so that you don't leave anything out when you're actually building it I want to, I want to talk about just dovetailing into storytelling for a second um, I think one of the most interesting exciting things that Airbnb's launched recently is trips super cool can you think back to maybe like the one of the first conversations you had with Brian or really any anyone on your team or anyone on the business uh, where you told a story um, that validated that trips might be a thing that's interesting to explore? Can you can you think back to a time where that? Storytelling was a very big part of understanding what trips should be. Yeah. You know, Airbnb's been experimenting with things like trips for a long time. Uh, as I mentioned, that storyboard is a really powerful tool when thinking about trips. Mm -hmm. Because when we put it together, and this was before I got here that the storyboard first came together, uh, it has, I think, like 15 frames or something like this. And so it's got guest frames, like mm -hmm. a comic strip, and it's got host frames. And when you do that and you look at it and you think about, well, where is the Airbnb product a part of this journey? Mm -hmm. You know, where is it helping and where is it not? You realize that it's probably only in about, you know, five mm. of the frames. There's a, quite a bit of it, the on offline travel experience where you know you're not using the Airbnb product that much. Mm -hmm. uh, it's you know it's the host, it's the place that you're traveling, it's what you equipped yourself with, um, you know your friends and etc. That are actually you know, providing that service, the experience, not Airbnb. And it was very revealing to us at that moment is that like you know there's more here, there's more we could be doing to help people feel a sense of belonging when they're traveling. And so that was one where just story kind of like ignited this want for us to do That's more. That's interesting, yeah. And then trying to you know, go to down the path that you're talking about is like, well, how did it help us actually find the right thing to do and, and, and get everybody excited about yeah. that direction? Mm -hmm. uh, actually, there were a series of stories done. One where we were looking at what might be you know, a tourist experience today, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the opposite of what we were going for. And so we filmed people that were having this experience and finding ways that you know, it wasn't that great, you know, finding those moments where, you know, an individual was, you know, getting lost in, uh, what is that area called? The tourist spot, uh, Fisherman's Wharf. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Fisherman's Wharf and, you know, the big bus over the Golden yeah. Gate Bridge mm -hmm. and, and seeing the things that most tourists do. Uh, and then we, you know, did another video where, you know, we gave the best experience, the best trip that we could and tried to see what that opposite 
look like mm. um, or what that difference looked like and found that it was you know absolutely there was a there there you know that there's a much better trip to be had uh, where we were considering the individual and considering you know what a local might do uh, versus just what a tourist might do mm -hmm. and so it's like you know when your mom comes to visit you know where do you take her like uh -huh. those are the questions we should be asking not like ah. you know where you know the tourists are going you know think about like, the little gems that you know in the San Francisco that you know that's what you know we want people to see if we want to give them a sense of belonging in this place. How many of these stories do you have to tell before you start finding repeatable patterns? Because I can't imagine it's just the first one, right? Because that's kind of one data point. I think the number of stories you tell is dependent on how many kind of scenarios you're trying to bring to light. It's actually remarkable that I don't think you need to get, you know, a hundred different people telling their story in order yeah. to get, you know, the, the quantity behind right. it. It's actually, you know, you need, you know, just usually just a few stories to kind of implant the seed in people's mind and let them, you know, remember like Bobby and Jimmy and Ann and Sarah and, you know, all these individuals, just give them one or two and they'll latch onto those stories. You can back up that sentiment through data in other ways, right? So like, let's start with a story and then, you know, we can run a survey or, you know, do online analytics to understand like, well, you know, is there a, a lot of people that might feel that way? Yeah. Um, but the thing that really takes root in people's minds, the images that they take root in their mind, you actually don't want too many because you sure. know, too many stories and they just kind of, they all mm. start to blend together and they forget. Interesting. How can a designer who's working at a company who's never done this process before try and apply it? Because I, I could only imagine that there's someone watching this right now who's like, well, this is, I'm, I'm throwing out my spec, I'm throwing out all the business goals, which is probably not the best idea, <laughs> yeah. and trying to reframe it as a story to go present to like stakeholders on Monday, right? Yeah. Um, but that's probably not enough context, right? So what are the things that they should be looking for to actually present at that meeting? It's mm, a great question. I think it's, you know, you gotta start with the people problem, and that's the point of the story. It's just like help them understand it as a people problem. Uh, understand it that, like, you know, there are people that have this, and where, you know, your idea will take root in that world, in that context. The business case, you know, the you know, quantifiable or the, the uh, quant data that you have behind it is absolutely useful. You know, it's supportive. It shouldn't be you know, the lead, right? When you're you know, setting up your pitch deck and you really want to kind of ignite uh, a want to you know, participate in this and to you know, throw money in and invest in your startup, you know, help people understand that this is something that real people are going to deal with and, and let yeah. them understand it in you know, basic terms. Like a, you know, something that they might use. Katie, in this last segment, we reached out to our community and we asked them to help us source some questions. Mm. Um, we have five questions that are burning for the community, so we're gonna get into these next, all right? Um, the first one is, how do you explain the role of design to people in your business? To people in my business, like in, in, like in, designers? In Airbnb, in Airbnb, how do you explain the role of design to people at Airbnb? Mm. Well, it's funny you ask because I have to put together a presentation for ah, my company we this week. We have a, a big company event. <laughs> so where, this is top of mind. Yeah, yeah. global okay. employees are coming over and they <laughs> nice. want to know what experience design is. Um, I talk about it as solving problems. Um, just like we started here, you know, it's not just what something looks like, but it's how it works. And uh, I oftentimes you know, tell a story by giving them an example of where design isn't or where something was poorly designed uh, because that's usually the most revealing place where like, oh yes, that, like, yeah. that could be better. Right. Uh, it's it's very you know like when good designs there you don't even know right so like yeah. you, you gotta sometimes show that opposite, uh, but I 
I, I like people to understand that you know design is by no means something that you know only this one team can own, mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons why you know, the storyboard is on the wall for all to see, and it's one of the reasons why you know, we try to be a very collaborative team. Is that you know we can all be problem solvers. Um, you know we are often the ones that are you know the most. Uh, skilled at leveraging tools that help us quickly visualize. Um, we're also the ones that are you know, constantly exercising that muscle of problem solving and iteration and experimentation. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly doesn't mean that it's something that we're going to go and do on an island. Uh, so I, I hope to incur, uh, help inform people that design is very much a problem solving process and, and very much one that we want them to participate in. How's the design org at Airbnb currently, or currently structured? The design org is four parts. Uh, it's experience design, design operations, research, and content strategy. And these four parts work really closely together. Uh, you know, we have team meetings together, we sit together, we work on everything basically start to finish. But that's within the larger product org, which is also multidisciplinary and collaborative. And so we also sit alongside product managers, engineers, and data scientists. Uh, and the way that our design team works in terms of you know, these four parts is that we are basically uh, integrated and distributed among the product teams. Okay. Um, we have uh, various teams like Marketplace or Growth, and within those teams you'll have product managers, engineers, designers, data scientists, researchers, content strategists, etc., all working together on that problem. And so that they can be you know, hyper-focused on that problem and the goals that they have and become experts in that area. Uh, but then when you think about it kind of like laterally, uh, we as a design team, you know, interact and share learnings across because if we just look only at growth, we might lose, you know, some moments in between, between the, the user's journey. And so that connection between designers on different teams is really important. Uh, and so that's why we, we focus also on bringing the design team together as one entity. So there are businesses out there with one or two designers, hardly a design team. Mm -hmm. When you're the only designer in a company, how do you convince the company of the value of design? Well, they got you if you're the only one, so at least they know something. Uh, right, <laughs> right. Uh, but it's a good question. Uh, before I was at Airbnb, I worked at a company called Green Start, and we were essentially an accelerator at first, then we were a venture capital firm, essentially. But what was different about us is that we invested in startups with design and received equity in return. And these were early stage startups, like really small teams, sometimes five people. You know, they might have a, you know, an engineer or two, a marketing person, and a CEO. And you know, the fact that they were there was a great sign that they understood design to some extent. Uh, but yeah, you know, of course, a lot of times when they bring in one designer, they're, they're looking for that you know, make it look pretty type of thing. Uh, and I think one thing that a designer you know, it needs to do in order to scale themselves and to really have impact is to you know, help that team see more than that, see more than just the end pixels, but also the process to get there and include them in that. Uh, help them understand the value of user research, mm. uh, getting out there and talking to people. Uh, it's remarkable how many companies don't do that. Mm. Um, get out there and, and start storyboarding the journey and what are people going through and think about you know, what is it working and what is it not. Uh, before I joined here, I, I almost wanted to just leave 
my company and, and create a story map app because it was such a need for startups to actually think about their journey because a lot of them aren't. And if you think about your journey and you put it maybe in a storyboard or a diagram and then you map it, like we call it a happiness curve, and you draw a line of like when is it going well and when is it bad, yeah. super revealing, right, as to yeah. you know where those issues might be. Um, and get that whole team around that idea. Uh, they can start to understand a little bit more and hopefully they'll see your value, but more importantly, hopefully they'll, they'll start to in, you know, embed those sentiments of design in that toolkit that we talked about originally in order to make the company better. So at large, how should designers actually define, um, measure, and then present the design results from their projects? Hmm. I don't know if we've ever talked about it as just design results. Uh, Probably because we're so kind of hyper-focused on being a really collaborative team because we think that's where you know, the, the best results come from is mm. you know, through this team that is kind of balancing and, and leveraging these different disciplines. Uh, but design actually works really close with the data scientist team and, of course, the user research team. We, you know, at the start of a, a, a design project or a, a product development project, uh, we're going to look at, you know, well, where are we now? You know, what, are, what are the challenges today? And you know, then we start to you know, piece together solutions. We're including data science in that process. And you know, a lot of times, you know, they're bringing great ideas to the table um, in terms of the end solution based on you know, some of the things that you know, they're seeing and you know, different trends that have been happening over time. But also, they're helping us kind of shape how we might ship it. Uh, right, so engineering and data science are really a major part of how we're going to go and launch something. Uh, it's very rare that we launch something that's just like a wholly new overhaul of a product all at once. And the reason why is because it's very difficult to learn from. And so oftentimes what we're doing is taking that you know, kind of end result, that dream scenario, the, the end vision that we've created and breaking it into smaller pieces that we can ship, learn from, iterate on, and then build on and build on. And so, you know, by the end of, you know, a year or four months, we've completely overhauled the work. But it's been a step game to that. And data scientists help us do that. And so when we're looking at each individual step and seeing how it's working, uh, those are the moments where we're, you know, assessing whether or not, you know, it was a success. And yeah, I don't know if we ever think about it in terms of like, was the design a success? It's like, well, was a product success? And, and there's a lot to it, more than just the design, of course. I think we can finish with this question. Okay. Um, as the purpose of design starts to evolve and continues to evolve, as it has been for the last mm -hmm. decade, what are some roles and methodologies that will continue to emerge over the next five years? Mm. Oh, it's so exciting. I, I mean, I, I don't know, but I certainly am seeing a greater and greater need for designers to think outside the pixels, which is ironic because everything is becoming more and more digital. And of course, you know, we're getting into virtual reality and, and things are becoming three-dimensional. Uh, but all the more reason that we have to think, you know, beyond those screens and those goggles and the various devices. Uh, you know, machines are coming, and they're absolutely. You know, machines are coming. They're yes. here, <laughs> and you know, they're they are replacing a lot of the things that humans do every day. Uh, but that only, you know, unlocks more opportunity for humans to spend, you know, their time and their brain space in, on other things. Sure. Uh, you know, so for like one example is you know, design tools are getting ever more. Uh, 
robust and mm -hmm. capable. Mm -hmm. And you know that they're starting to bring design and engineering closer together, and so that we can, you know, create and prototype and build and make all at the same time, which is really exciting. Uh, but because of that, you know, then we, you know, have moments in our day that we can think about other things, right? Hopefully, it helps us make those things faster. And so we can think about, you know, the challenges of, you know, two individuals that don't speak the same language on the other side of the planet coming together, putting aside their biases and, you know, their, you know, inability to, you know, understand each other's, um, you know, first starting point to actually break down those barriers. Those are the things that, you know, designers could be spending their time on. We can be spending our time thinking about, you know, government and organization and policy. Uh, you know, companies could be thinking about more inwardly how they might design their yeah. companies as opposed to, you know, just following suit with what was there before. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited. I don't know what the titles will be. Right. Uh, those are always, you know, they'll, they'll follow. I, I still don't know what the titles yeah. are. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we make it up on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> yes, yeah, but I think we have our work cut out for us. Um, and I think we definitely just, need, you know, this, this interview has come first so full circle. Uh, design is more than what it looks like. You know, yeah. we need to really think about how things work and think about how we can apply that to things that you know aren't already being designed, uh, but things that you know are in desperate need of, you know, new ways of thinking and not leaving well enough alone. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, guys. Hey, you made it to the end. Congratulations. Thanks for watching the episode. I really, really hope you liked it. If you did like it, please leave us a review on the iTunes store. And by the way, if you have any questions that came up because of the content that, that we covered with our guests, go on YouTube, go on Twitter. You can tweet us, you can leave us a comment. We'll get back to you. We'll help you as much as possible. At Hi-Rez Podcast. That's the, the screen name or the handle for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook. Find us, talk to us. We want to converse with you. Uh, we're not going to leave here, by the way, without also thanking our friends at Searle Video. They've been an amazing partner on this entire project. So Searle Video is a creative studio based out of Portland, Oregon. They've helped creative communities tell stories for over 10 years. They've done advertisements, behind-the-scene footage, um, and documentaries for companies like Google, Slack, XOXO Festival, Adobe, Intel. They're incredible. They've traveled with us through the entire country documenting these stories with our guests. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Searle. Listen, if you're a startup looking to elevate your product, if you're a big company looking to humanize your brand, if you're someone in the creative community who just wants to tell a story, you've got to check out the team at Searle Video. It's searlevideo.com, S-E-A-R-L-E, video.com. Check out our friends at Searle. Thank you so much, guys. You guys have been incredible on this project.